Hi, this is Andrew Farris, and you've been listening to Welcome to Who You Are on Hayden and B's Part 2. Well, hello, and welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd, Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Well, hello, welcome to NXS Access All Areas, episode 77, the double sevens B, where we dive deep into this legendary band, get them into the Rock Hall of Fame, have a laugh, and talk all things in excess. How are you? Pretty good, actually, mate. I'm all right. How are you? I'll get out early before we even forget. You know, uh, how's your NXS week been? Because we've got so much to get through before we have our two famous guests on today. Mm-hmm. Um, feels like a non-stop last sort of seven to ten days of NXS week. Uh, how's yours been, B? Plenty of engagement, Hayden. I don't know if we should bring some of the engagement forward into the intro. We will be doing a um, draw on Kirk's um, wine later on but before that I did mention a few things on there um, so I can say that I've just met up with a lovely guy called Wayne and yep. I also met a lovely lady called Kathy so I'll mention them a bit later okay yeah. I've got a, a feeling that Bee's now uh, being recognised by her avatar and uh, her her very very uh, uh, blonde locks that are parading the streets of uh, Coffs Harbour from a coffee shop perspective not from yes. a, any other perspective Yes. But uh, yeah, you're getting noticed and recognised now, aren't you, B? I, I am actually. I'm quite liking it. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, look, getting on to our last week's episode, I think the word wow was the uh, adjective mm-hmm. that we seemingly felt after the episode. And um, look, uh, the response levels this week have been crazy. Uh, there have been a lot of people who were itching to have the early download. A lot of people within our yeah. patron service got access to that mm-hmm. uh, a day earlier than the rest of the public. But I think just the numbers and people across the board from even Andrew's Instagram site, we've picked up a few new listeners from that, haven't we? Yes, and which I'll mention in a bit. Yeah, we've yeah. got a few more patrons and loads of new listeners, hence yeah. Wayne coming to yeah. meet me today. Yeah. It was interesting, sort of, I listened back to the episode because there was so much there and had such a great time, but I sort of felt like listening back, you know, I was listening back like a fly on the wall, listening mm-hmm. to us be flies on the wall. Yeah. And if I can articulate that, that is that having sort of Andrew and Mark on, who really hadn't sort of spent a lot of time, maybe personal time together over the last, say, couple of years, uh, it was a little bit like sort of uh, reducing a couple of old friends and colleagues together. And it was lovely just to be able to sort of sit back and let them sort of joust, uh, not not joust in the true sense of the word, but just trade off on stories and anecdotes and, and reminding each other. It was really, yeah. it was really uh, joyous, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 it was. It was like entering a room of, of friends that hadn't seen each other for a while. And it's yeah. like, okay, let's just sit back and listen to this. And they were reminding each other of things. Yeah, you were right. And there was such a good mutual respect for one another. Yep. And I just loved the fact that Andrew thanked him as well. It was quite funny. It's as if he just woke up or something. <laughs> Frightened the life out of me. He goes, hang on. Like, what, what do you mean? When he says, he says um, oh, I'd just like to um, oh, thank right. Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, Andrew sort of accused himself of being a bit verbose. Now, for those who don't know what the word verbose means, it means sometimes using too many words to explain something. And <laughs> probably that is in, a, in Andrew's personality in a way. But 
it's refreshing for somebody to, you know, be measured and considered and really go into detail about events of that time. And I think the podcast sort of platform, be it a, an hour, two hours, allows uh, that type of dialogue to occur. And But, yeah, just sitting back, you know, I, I think we kept out of the way, which was great, and we let those guys really sort of, you know, run the show, show last week in terms of, uh, the episode and uh, it was sort of funny listening to it after about an hour and a bit. We we only got to the first song really. I know. <laughs> Albeit we we talked a bit about men and women and beautiful girl and a few things there, mm. but yeah, we, we didn't want to tamper too much with the spirit of, of the way it was recorded. You know, we felt like the common phrase for Andrew to say, "Hey, you know, getting back to welcome." <laughs> yeah, but like you said, you know. The attention to detail for that album and what Mark can remember is just fabulous what mm. he what he knows um i've just come off a, a little message with tim because he's just done a little radio show that's coming out mm. um in a few weeks when when did live, live baby live well it's out? only two days time it's the okay. anniversary yeah so, so tim, he's just done a little yeah. thing for that and he was wow. saying i think mark opitz could probably do a better job because he knows more I saw oh the you email. saw it yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I i think we might even have tim qualifying for media awards just a little rumor later than i'd be so mm. just putting it out there but uh <laughs> yeah so uh, it feels like there's an anniversary every week at the moment oh. for an album or a period. But uh, oh my um, goodness, I've just I forgot I've got to say some really big news. Well, it's okay. not big news, but it's interesting. It was You're talking it up. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I wasn't expected. Okay. So this lady called Kathy that I've just met, right? Who, right? Let me tell. You. So I'm sitting down with Wayne having a coffee. This lady comes past with a mask of in excess on, so I call her over, and then she recognised me. And then we're having these lovely chats. And she says, "I was in the local pub, um, which is a pub that I really like. It's like a bar that overlooks the ocean. It's gorgeous." And uh, she says, "And there was a, a lady there, and I was wearing my mask, and she recognised um, it, and she, she called me over, and she says that she was Chris Murphy's." mom oh oh no she says i don't know if she was pretending pretending to be or you know but i thought well that's a bit left field to pretend to be chris murphy's so, anyway, mom but yeah. So, yeah. But yeah so um and then they have a lovely chat about it i want to meet you if you're listening come and come back to coughs and meet me <laughs> Oh, so you didn't meet Chris Murphy's mum, this person? No, this lady oh, did okay. in our local bar, uh-huh. one of our local bars. Yeah. Oh, well, it's a lovely story, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, she probably would be maybe late 80s if that's the case. You yeah, know. Um, and she was saying about all the memorabilia that's still in the uh, shed. Yeah. Yeah. Need, need to have a look at that stuff. Okay. It's only an hour up the road for me. <laughs> it is. Just down the road, just down the road. Of exciting over the last uh, week or two, but we've been a little bit inundated with patrons. We've got patrons seemingly coming out of our proverbials at the moment. Am I correct in assuming that uh, there's two or three new ones who've come on in the last couple of days? I've just looked down here, I've got a Leanne and a Jill. Does it sound right to you? That's right. My goodness, Leanne <laughs> Nielsen. I'm yep. so excited that she's come on board. Yep. She's just nuts like me. Well, I've seen her name banding around on the platforms and some of the things previously. Uh-huh. So obviously she's uh, seen the light and, oh, and decided to join us. She's so much fun. I yeah. love that girl. She just, you know, has no <laughs> boundaries like me. And yeah. Jill, 
like to get to know Jill. Don't know who Jill is just yet, but yep. um, yeah, she's a PO box number. Yeah. See, yeah, you don't know about these PO box number people. <laughs> no, that's right. But it's exciting. Look, as I said, having more people join us on this sort of quest, and uh, after the Andrew episodes, we will be having a, a Zoom call with some of the new patrons, which is always a, a great forum to you know basically have a very relaxed uh, gas bag about all things in excess in their own individual fandom because. That's what we like to do on those new sort of patron episodes where you can come on and tell us about your experiences with the band, any concerts you went to, any times maybe you met any members of the band, what songs you like, what albums. Uh, and, you know, it's your forum just to sort of share um, in, a, in a very non-pressurised setting. There's no scripts. It's just really a relaxed chat amongst uh, in excess alumni. And if anyone is going to the Don't Change gig on the 11th of December, I'll see you all there as well at the Narrabeen RSL. Can't wait to meet a load of you there. Probably time to uh, welcome them to this episode. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Well, hello to our honorary members, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Cameron Adams and Mary Woods. Also to our gorgeous patrons, Sue D, Joe Robbins, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Markham, Sarah Camia, Dr. Jim, Katie, Felicia, Lisa Mack, Lisa Urban, Lisa Calloway, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, Matt, Linda, Vern, Yvonne, Caroline, Amanda H, Amanda V, Leon, David, Tracy, Paul Jolie, Paul Boozy, Paul Bridges, Paul Buckley, Sandrine, Warren, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Stefan, Val, Jim, Macy, Kelly, John, Jackie, Sean, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Glenn, Laurel, Ace, Bard, Genevieve, Ali, Shelby, Manny, Laurie, and now Jill, Leanne, and Peter just in at the post at the last minute. Hi to you all. Welcome to the party. getting longer B there might be a day where it's going to struggle to read them all out but we might have a fast track version or something like that we might have to do a rap version or something like that of the patrons you fancy having a go at that I might be able to it could be a tongue twister (laughs) especially when we open up in Romania (laughs) but yes uh, we're going to head into episode two this week of the Andrew and Mark deep dive into welcome we've done a little bit of a a preview earlier in our sort of intro today so uh, we might just get straight into the news first before we get into the topic uh, so it is time for the it's time for the news Hi, it's Dave from England, and you're listening to In Excess Access All Areas with Hayden and B. And now it's time for the news. 
All right, B, positive news. We have a little bit of a chart lift this week. The album has snuck back into the top 50. It has come back in from number 53 to number 50. (laughs) So it does qualify for another week in the top 50, the very best of. Hopefully it's a springboard for things to come. Now, we are entering that little bit of a Christmas buying period where a lot of compilation albums this time of year, hello, Mariah Carey, Christmas, (laughs) uh, do get a resurgence in certain uh, historical bands and Heritage Acts or Best Ofs become de rigueur and popular this time of year. So that's mm-hmm. something uh, we hope uh, takes shape with this album. Yes, bye-bye-bye. Uh, bye. Also, too, just a, a couple of anecdotes. Congrats to the Go-Go's who got nominated and then inducted into the Hall of Fame last week. Probably one of the first female rock and roll bands to get out there and sort of write, record and produce their own music. So kudos to them. The drummer, who uh, I do believe a uh, good friend of the podcast, uh, Susan uh, Suzanne Lynn, Happened to meet up with and get a couple of books signed. I think the drummer and yes. one of the other band members. Yeah. Probably the most uh, active city in the world for music. And Suzanne's mm. there at every frontier. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there's a podcast uh, with uh, Adam Carolla, who's a, is a really good, I guess, pop culture type guy who does a, a podcast series. He interviewed uh, the drummer. I think her surname is Shock. Um, anyway, she happened to sort of talk a little bit about In Excess and, you know, In Excess supported the Go Go's on one of the tours there and then vice versa and things. And she absolutely, love Michael, absolutely love mm. NXS, what they were doing at the time. Mm. Um, she does touch on a, a couple of little sad anecdotes towards the end there, and I think she did see Michael at the Viper Room a couple of weeks before he passed. Oh, really? And, oh. Yeah, that's what he did get up on stage and sung, I think, Suffragette City with um, yeah. uh, Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top and I think Bernard Fowler and, yeah. and, and Danny Sabre and things. But, you know, I think listening to it, you know, gave a little bit of perspective where Michael was at at the time, but... Um, overall, it was a nice little soundbite uh, from from her regarding in excess. Excess articles this week. Uh, one of them, uh, I think, is a, a, an article or a sort of publication called Over 60 60. And uh, there's a list of 10 in excess sort of classic songs that they rate and uh, review down to number one. Uh, some interesting choices in that. So I can't quite remember how they sort of worked it all out, whether it was a reader's poll or whatever. It was definitely an interesting read and also some anecdotes about the songs, which was always good to sort of uh, see and listen. Also, too, there was another article publication called Chaos Spin. Uh, 10 best songs article, another sort of countdown as well. Again, you know, you can plug this into your Google search browser and, and sort of put the word in excess in and chaos spin. You'll, you'll get another similar type of article and a countdown. Again, I think they're both North American publications. So you'll probably mm. hear, uh, you know, surge of songs related to those regions. Also too, The Killers, uh, a band that's been inspired by in excess. And I think we do hear a little bit about Andrew talking about Brandon Flowers from uh, The Killers uh, in our either episode two or three coming up. The Killers were talking a little bit about coming down to Australia for the next tour. Uh, I think Brandon said that he was really into a lot of Australian rock music like In Excess and Ice House and I think ACDC and other sort of types of bands uh, because his brother was about 12 years older than him and uh, I guess got him into a lot of that Aussie rock stuff. So um, we have seen Brandon sort of contribute, I guess, uh, guest vocals, I think, on one of the, the tracks. I don't think it got released off the original Sin album because of his record company wouldn't let him do it. Oh, really? Yeah, they, they recorded with uh, the band. It was, I think it might have been Beautiful Girl or uh, Devil Inside, one of the tracks, uh, et cetera, there. But he might have been Don't Change. But, yeah, at, that time, at the time of the release, I think he was having some solo stuff or some other material come out and they didn't want it to clash. Oh. Um, that happens occasionally. 
Mm. Probably one of the reasons why when uh, Bono contributed vocals on Michael's album Slide Away, you should have, you would have thought that, you know, that could have been a single and could yeah. have really, uh, accelerated that album into the worldwide charts. But that Michael album came out in sort of 1999, I think, and it was probably on the verge of U2's next album and mm. record companies get in the way and don't always like to, they don't yeah. like to give a free kick to other artists, you know? Shame. Also, too, there is a podcast out there called Two Twins and I'll say actually it's called Two Twins and an Album, which is a pretty cool title. I think there's two brothers. Uh, like everything, when they're doing an album review of In Excess, and of course they pick Kick. There are a couple of horrible cliches in the blurb for them, but I think the actual podcast is quite interesting how they review the album. So, uh, But again, they only do Kick. They don't do anything else like we do. <laughs> uh, uh, also, too, uh, you mentioned a bit earlier, B, Live Baby Live, uh, as I said, does turn 30, uh, I guess, in this week of recording. And uh, Timmy has uh, been giving up his time, I think, for about an hour today at the time of, uh, of our recording with Triple M where he's doing a lot of sort of little voiceover stuff or intro to songs as a celebration for uh, that album. And uh, I guess it probably does allow Timmy to get into Media Wars. So Can we play the music? We can play the music. <gasps> Hi, this is Casey from England. You're listening to NXS Media Wars. We don't need to add much to, add to that with Timmy, although it looks like he's been a triple M two weeks in a row, which is interesting. So uh, he is sort of navigating the media wars uh, uh, landscape. Also, too, uh, well, in news this week, uh, there's a good Aussie band called The Triffords. Now, we've discussed Australian Made before, which obviously is a Mark Opitz produced uh, concert there, and obviously in excess, and Barnsley played, you know, good times and things. But there was an act that played on that uh, uh, national tour called The Triffords. Uh, and the Triffids were a band that were bigger in Europe than they were Australia. They're actually from Western Australia, and uh, they had two or three sort of big songs, uh, namely uh, "Wide Open Road," uh, "Bury Me Deep in Love," I think "Trick," uh, I think "Trick of the Light." But this particular band, uh, there was a guy called David McComb who was the lead singer, and he's very charismatic. And Michael uh, insisted, Michael Hutchins, that is, insisted on them joining the bill for Australian Made. And the promoters were like, oh, they're not big enough. But Michael said, this is a quality band. They've had a song go top 10 in Europe, which was rare for an Australian act. They have to be on this tour. Subsequently, you know, many, many years later, when that band broke up, David went on and formed a band called the Black Eyed Susans. Very artistic, artsy sort of band. And they supported In Excess on the Full Moon Dirty Hearts Tour at the Monash University gig that I went to. Um, David sadly passed away a couple of years later with heart issues related to uh, a heroin problem. But there's a great documentary out at the moment about him, which probably encapsulates maybe a little bit of in excess on Michael inviting him onto that tour and things. But there's a documentary coming out, uh, which is going to sort of be there. And I think it's going to be called Love in Bright Landscapes. And it's coming out in Australia, but I guess it could be streamable in the future. But I just wanted to acknowledge it because Michael was such a champion of Australian music and you know, he was humble enough to not to be threatened by another great Australian band. He was like such a proponent of wanting to include that. And I think probably Mark and, and Andrew on this episode, well, historically, I should say, would have seen that with, with Michael and uh, that Full Moon Dirty Hearts tour. They got all young Australian bands and emerging bands like the Black Eyed Susans and things to act as the major support acts. So some of the bigger acts in the 90s in Australia were budding sort of young bands that NXS gave a go to on that particular tour. 
as well as the videos on that video album of Full Moon Dirty Hearts were all first-time filmmakers. And some of those filmmakers went on to big things globally. So I just, you know, a bit of a longer story, but I, I think the, the doco and everything with the Triffids is just worth referencing today. Thank you, Hayden. No problems. Uh, and the last thing, I think, uh, it's been a little bit of a sad news. We always like to give a bit of a valet out there to anyone who passes away, but it looks like UB40 have lost another mm, member. Astro. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, what's his name? Astro, is that right? Astro, yeah. Yeah. Um, my hometown again. Yeah, and I thought, you know, that connected with you. I know you posted something the other day and I'd seen mm-hmm. it the same day, but uh, yeah, they're, they're a big Birmingham outfit and yeah. I guess they're all getting older in their 60s and late 60s, early yeah. 70s. And but do you they, know what UB40 means? Is they document form at the Dole office? That's right. It was. Right, that was okay. very, very, very good. Right. They feel like a UB40, is it? <laughs> yeah, they were really big in England, probably still are, um, yeah. but they were big on stage. There was loads of them. There were yeah. probably about 20 people and there was always different, like. Uh, yeah, there's a cast of thousands here, which is why they probably had so many so many gigs to uh, pay everybody. Yeah, that, uh, I regret that I didn't go to see them, actually. It yeah. Good to have well, seen. Well, they're a band, when you look at their career, they had a lot of original material, but probably their biggest hits were a lot of cover songs, weren't they? Yeah. Like Red, Red Wine. and Well, the ones um, that were hits, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, Big and things like that. background. But, yeah, mm. but uh, look, Valet, to UB40 fans and to Astro, and well done on your contribution to music. But uh, that's the news of the week. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also, want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and B. And now it's time for the topic of the week. And welcome back to the podcast, Andrew Ferris and Mark Opitz. Has it been in the Tamworth area where you're from? Have you had sort of less restrictions in Sydney or has it been coming and going a bit? Well, you know, the regional areas were sort of, to a certain degree, no one really sort of cared much about it at first. Mm. And then it began to become, you know, more problematic for whatever for whatever reason. Um, but it seems to be heading back to something, you know, approaching normal as we go around the corner. But, yeah, you know, who would have ever dreamt probably one of the strangest things I've ever seen since I've been alive. We bought tickets for your uh, concert in, in Melbourne. I guess you had to sort of pause Victoria and South Australia, I think, at the time uh, yeah. because of it, you know, and really confine your tour to New South Wales, really, I think, didn't you? Basically, it was impossible uh, to carry, you know, the musicians or the level of people I had with me mm. um, and not knowing what tomorrow would would, would be. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know that many other people in many other industries were affected the same way. Mm. Um, you know, I really feel for them. Um, you know, you can, you can walk around the streets, uh, you know, and, and see many places where, where businesses have closed up and, and things have shut down because they can't sustain that kind of thing, you know. I was talking to Richard Clapton the other day and he was saying mm. to me, he says he feels that rock and roll is going to be the same anymore because of the touring that people can't do anymore. Well, I think touring will come back, you know. And it take a while, though. In my case, you know, in two years, I've done 12 days' work, 12 days. Mm. I've had so many projects cancelled, and even one I've got in January that I had coming up for three weeks, 
they postponed that at least until May oh. because they hadn't had a chance to rehearse and do things like that. But was that the one in days, Melbourne, uh, Mark? Yeah, the one in Melbourne. And so, uh, so 12 days, that's never happened in my lifetime, you know. It's excruciating. Hopefully there's, hopefully there's a correction, especially in the entertainment industry. I think uh, along with hospitality, I think my heart goes out to you know, yeah. the, the bands and the, the artists, and both from the creative arts in acting and theatre productions through to you know the roadies and the stage guys and the bands and the artists and the record companies. I mean, everyone and hospitality, they're all intertwined. Hopefully there's a big correction and people go out and support you know uh, live music yeah. and things again. Well, I'm thinking about Bunnings as a career. say back on on that particular song that I've always really enjoyed branching out and either embracing or or trying to understand other cultures music or genres of music or whatever because I I feel like I'm learning something that I didn't know before I didn't understand or you know whatever Um, and I've always loved Indian music I used to listen to a lot of gentle sort of northern Indian flute music and things when I was on tour I think a lot of people would think that you come off tour off stage and you've just been this whopping big gig and there's been you know um, all these people going crazy and they you know want to hear in excess music and you go back and you put in excess on or something you know um, that's not what I would do uh, very much you know, it's not that I didn't love the band or anything I'd you know I would I would do it all over again tomorrow night it wasn't that it was more that I wanted something to relax and to to, to shift my mind away yeah. from the stage and from what I'm actually in the moment and the present doing. And so I would listen to a lot of other kind of other kinds of music, not just Indian music, but other cultures of music, African music, sometimes, um, you know, some indigenous Aboriginal music, sometimes, you know, uh, grooves, you know, from Brazil or whatever, you know, so or, or classical music or blues or, or things all mixed up together. And the point is that with questions, what I wanted to do was exactly that with that musically was to in excess has to rubber stamp itself as being oh we're a stadium rock band so we need to play this and otherwise our stadium audience will all run away and you know i was like i don't care about all that i'll be really honest um you know the record companies and the management and everybody else might freak out but i don't care i didn't arrive on earth you know to to live out my life you know in some stadium fantasy as you know yes so lucky to be there absolutely yeah, yeah. But, but music well, that, the song yeah. was indicative of the yeah. the album I, it was immediate to you mark to put it first how long did it take you to make that decision or was it a band decision or that was instant because uh, i was lucky <clears throat> the band with that particular album let me have my way with the running order and put it together you know, I'm sure there was a couple of suggestions and stuff in there, but no, I there was no question for me that that was always going to go first. Why was it so I, short? Because, it, as I said, it's a prelude, you know, and it's and and the whole and the whole thing about I like albums that are albums, as I mentioned earlier on. And what I was trying to make with in excess with them, what we were trying to make in my mind was the suite, and not just a, a basically something that flowed. You know, yeah, there were a lot of different changes going on, but there was a consistency in there. 
and that consistency was the amount of change and things like that. Make sure musically everything's threaded next to each other. Well, it nice. goes really nice into the next yeah, well, set. I pride myself. Would have been really nice at the end as well, though. Well, I think men and women, which we'll get men to, does that. Yeah, had to be at the end because that that I knew that was going to be the end song. I, yeah. I knew that. No, no question. Funny thing is, when we'd finished recording all the stuff in um, uh, in Sydney. And we're about to leave for Los Angeles and I was chatting to Andrew. I don't know if Andrew remembers this. And I said to, to Andrew, and we're about to leave to go on the plane to mix with Bob Clearmount in LA, and of which Michael was coming too. And Andrew and Michael stayed until they had to come back for rehearsals for Concerts for Life. And I stayed there mm-hmm. with Clearmount and I mixed, mixed the album, but they were there for the first week. But anyway, just the day before we left to to fly over there, I said to Andrew, gee, Andrew, I'm worried. He said, what's the matter? I said, I said, I just don't think we're finished. We've got enough. And he said, and Andrew looked at me and said, Mark, this is the most prepared we've ever been going into mixing. <laughs> you know, I, I'll stand by that. And you may have been right, I don't know, but I think that, you know, that's true. And it gets back to what I just said before about Michael and I. It was really good that we, we had spent quite a lot of time talking to each other in real time, not just on the phone or, you know, passing messages, but sitting together before we even walked in the studio and him being at my home and, and being able to relax and actually shoot stuff. Conversation. Yeah. conversation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And talk about what we were, you know, attempting to do next. And I think that's what I meant more about being prepared. Uh, I don't know necessarily from a recording point of view, you may have been right. I don't know. Well, no, that's, what, yeah. that's the indication you gave to me. Because I've got all the tapes and we've got everything there, and we're about to ship them out, and whatever. And I just remember clearly just saying, you know, I, and you said, no, no. And we were referring to what we had. You said, this is the most we've been prepared. And, I, and of course, my thought was, shit, Kick wasn't this prepared or X wasn't this prepared? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I've got, I've got to say that thank you, B, for wanting to hear more of the rest of the questions. I did. Um, yeah. yeah, but uh, I've got to say that I, I I went back into this world a little bit much, much later on uh, with this Switch album when I was working on music for that and I had a, a sort of a, a more Middle Eastern beat but had the same sort of, um, you know, influ- influences, excuse me, from other cultures that I wanted to put in that song. Um, but I think what really kicked that one really differently for me was when we then, I'd never, the band had never been to India and so we went there and we played uh, in three um, uh, different venues uh, in India as well as um, uh, going to Bollywood and we shot a video there. Well, that was something, I tell you. Never anyway, let you go? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. But it was not that. It was more the cultural immersion of it. And then uh, at the the beautiful, uh, ho- famous hotel, I've forgotten the name, but I'm sorry, uh, is where they had that very tragic, awful um, incident. Yeah, with the terrorists and all that. And we were there oh. three weeks, I think, before. But I was going to say that during that experience, you know, for me, India, Sony India and, and Sona herself, 
who was part of the video that we shot in Bollywood, is a very famous Indian singer, beautiful singer, an, an instrumentalist. I'm sorry, I've forgotten his name. Please forgive me. And and but the two of them uh, added a whole lot of things to that particular track. And for me to be in India and have these people uh, culturally immersed, and I'm getting immersed in what they're doing, was really interesting for me because I'm like. This isn't pub rock from Australia anymore. This is really interesting. Yeah, well, this is um, left field for you. you know, a bit like what you did. Really left field. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, I like, sorry, this is completely going off track again, but um, mm. your latest album that you've done, and what's that song that you've done? It's an instrument. Oh, I love it. You just. Oh. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, I had an EP that I released because of the pandemic. Yes. And there was five tracks on it, and the last one was First Man on Earth. First Man on Earth. And I wrote yeah. that with the, uh, with Guy Chambers, uh, who you know from Robbie Williams and all that. And in London I wrote that with him, and he had a, a big room full of uh, old analog uh, synthesizers, including a desk that Pink Floyd uh, used for Dark Side of the Moon. I think all kinds of shit in that room was unbelievable. And I, and I was sitting in there with Guy, and he had a family commitment or something that morning and I said look I'd like to use all this keyboard stuff because I, I can't believe the kind of gear you've got in here he said sure and that's what I did I just used all those analog synthesizers and ran it through all that equipment that he had um, and then he came in he goes what do you mean doing and I played it to him and he goes oh, I love this and then we both wrote that lyric first man on earth which is the lyric for that song was all about how, you know, technology is more and more and more taking us into a place that, you know, we we are, whether or not we realise it now, we are like Neanderthals with all this technology right now. We do not know the social implications of where this is going or where it's taking us. That That is what the song is all about. But, um, yeah, thank you for that. But I think if I can just get back to welcome, I think, I think with the reason, as Mark was saying, for, for closing off questions, I think it was more to do with that heaven sent. We all got pretty excited about it because it's nice, you know, sort of strong rock thing that we knew would be good on stage uh, as well. You know, they were always conscious of that stuff because, you know, how is this going to translate, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think if I can, sorry, if I can segue off questions for a minute, I think with heaven sent, um, I'd originally written the song to be a ballad, actually, um, and a very gentle sort of song. Was it in a lost time? Yeah, in a lost time. That's right. And um, and I, I had wanted it to be kind of more like a, I don't know, um, you know, perhaps a little bit more like by my side or never tear a spot or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then, but then there were other songs like like questions and like. Um, Beautiful Girl and these other songs that are on Welcome where I realised that, that it, it wasn't necessary really to, to use that song. But and, and also I think Kirk had come up with that guitar riff. Yeah. That's what he mentioned the other week, just didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it was just a monster. And then the band got right into it and it just it was just took its own, own, own I remember life. that day, I remember that day very well. You're right, you know, like Andrew, the, the, what's called the glide version, the waltz, and then we heard Kirk was just mucking around and straight away, and of course I'm a rockhead as well, so it didn't take much to get me going. <laughs> yeah. But the thing I remember about that day, we spent so long that whole, that whole day recording that song, we must have done 20 takes, and, and it was at dinner break, that Brian Lazot from Lazot's, you, you know, I've heard you guys mention, he was our yeah. caterer. Uh, lovely Brian Lazot and his and and, Jay, and, and yeah, anyway, and Jeff, uh, Johnny Diesel's wife, uh, Jane Barnes's 
sister. They were doing the food. And we came out to the splendid, unbelievable feast for dinner, you know, as rock stars do at that period of their career, you know, in the studio. And then I finished early and went back in and just listened to all the takes until, you know, because they're all very similar. I went, that's my, that's it, got it. And then I managed to get everyone back in the room and then we, we, we started to go. But there was, look for magic in it, that's what we were doing. came out, uh, Triple M put it on the radio and then they played it again on the radio like twice in a row. So excited were they for new content. But buying the, the single, I think it's probably, Andrew, the greatest CD single. You've got uh, that song at the top. You've got one of your vocals, It Ain't Easy, at the second. We've got Tim's guitar one for 11th Revolution. The Heaven Sent gliding version, which I guess is in that sort of 3-4 sort of rhythm. Mm. And then you've got the greatest B-side that you've ever done is Deepest Red, that we will argue about its inclusion on the album later, but that's another mm-hmm. battle of mine. Um, but that CD single was like before the album came out was fantastic. Um, just thought I would indulge myself for a moment on that. Can I just say, just to finish off on, on Heaven, or well, we don't have to finish off on Heaven Sent, I really wanted Michael's vocals to be super as distorted as possible. Mm. And they were a hell of a lot more distorted when I'd finished with them, then the band let me get away with, you know. <laughs> so the, they're the, decipherable the, too, Mark, which was a credit yeah, to you. Yeah, I know, but I they're still decipherable, but I actually had even more distortion on the vocal. And then the band were just going, oh, wait a minute, maybe we should just tone that back a bit, you know. So I'm not saying it was Andrew's idea, but, but you know, because we were very collective in terms of democratic decisions. Once songs were at a certain point, you know, everyone had to have their input and, and, and stuff like that. But yeah, so just just an aside that you know I wanted the vocal even more distorted. Still, yeah, I found a little clip where Michael's talking about his album, and he said that he wanted his voice to be on the same level as the music, as the as the instruments, and he didn't want to be above on a lot of the records. Yeah, he wanted to be part of the band, and that's why. Yeah. you commented, what was the song you said oh, you commented on yesterday? Uh, Back Online. Yeah. Back Online. Yeah. The very, very quiet. Well, it's not, it's not quite. It's just that you Understated, could, it, I think. It could, yeah, I could. No. <laughs> and me, I'd like to hear him more. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm the same with you. And, yeah, and I'm sure that, I, that I, you know, when we were mixing, we did vocal up versions and stuff like that. But, again, you know, it gets down to, you know, I'll, we'll do the mixes, clean out and I'll do all the mixes. But, it's, but we'll do different versions of all the mixes and it's up to the band to have say, yeah, well, we like that one better mm-hmm. or can you do this to it or something like that. And in that particular case, could you know, you bring up a very good point about Michael. Wanted to be more, this is a band, this is not, you know, he, he was getting sick of being, this is Michael Hutchins and his band. Yeah. You know, it was a lot of perception was happening about that, you know. And well, the kick album, all the singles you get, it was like his vocal, he was right at the but, front of it. But, but the whole point is, in excess, 
is a magical thing. It's just banned. You listen to Black and White from Shabu Shabar, you know, that's not just Michael singing. That's just, that's, that song's so far ahead of its time, it's ridiculous, you know, um, and so many other songs that they've done over the year. And Michael, of course, by publicity, by, by the machine, you know, the commercial machine, of course they were pushing Michael out the front. That was his job. He had to be the front man. That was his gig. And so I'm sure he got to the point where he said, no, just give me a break. Give me a break, yeah. Give me a break. Let let me be part of it. Give me a break, but he puts the bellers out there. And and I think that's the point you miss with men and women. That is the big point you miss with men and women, is that that Michael wanted, yes, it was. It's just not my type of song. I know. It's a personal thing, isn't it? But the point is that that Hayden brings up, having listened to the show, he did, you know, last week, Hayden brought up very good points about the song and, and, and what it means and, and, and yeah. what it's about. And that's the context of how we see it. I don't know, Andrew's probably the same because he wrote, he he got Mick Kennedy to do the most beautiful orchestral arrangement for it. And, um, and you know, very much Andrew's music, uh, but, but in, in a way, but, the, but the, definitely Michael, that was Michael trying, again, you know, as you said before, you know, Michael wanted to be part of whatever was be part of the whole milieu, not be there's the singer. Oh, I can hear the music behind. Sometimes, Andrew, I think you did that with Guns in the Sky and sometimes with media, you might have traded individual songwriters. For a nerd like me, does that ring a bell, et cetera? Because um, Andrew, I, I, sorry, I, Michael's just yeah. a dude. I think, I, I think I'd feel more comfortable, and, and I wish he was, if Michael was on this and I could exactly. say right? But, but, I, but I will also add that with men and women in particular, I always had – to me, the impression that what Michael was singing about was something very, very personal in his life that he'd been affected by. And so I took away the, how can I put it, the competitive songwriting bullshit out of it. Yeah. And I just saw this, whatever he's talking about means a lot to him. Um, And so I'll just give him the grace and floor to say, how can I help? And then he'd say, oh, I would like it to, to, you know, I'd like it to go and have this feel or be like that. And I'd say, sure. You know, because it's like, it's a very personal thing. It's not, oh, let's write a, you know, a great big hit or let's, you know, no. there's none of that going on. And, and, that, and that, I'm still the same today. If I feel I'm working with someone and there's something in, that I'm working with a writer in the room and they're, they're in tears or something awful has happened, they want to sing or write about it, I'll go, well, sure, how can I help, you know, um, because we're just humans, you know, I, but seriously. But I think on the other side of the coin, you, the other songs that you just mentioned, uh, back in kick with media. Now that was definitely all me. Um, but with guns in the sky, and that was pretty much all Michael. The only thing I did was insert the F sharp, I think, as a change because he wanted a change and didn't know what he wanted. A G A G A G or whatever it was, B A whatever it is. And 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 so, um, but the point is that really, you know, Guns in the Sky was all Michael, and I I can remember. Uh, I know we you know digressing, but I can remember when we played in uh, Chicago. 
Um, actually, you might have been at that concert, Mark, and um, it was where I met Teddy Richards, Aretha Franklin's son, who I worked a lot with when I lived in yeah. You know, we've remained friends. And, um, you know, at that same concert uh, was uh, JFK Jr. and his wife came along. Uh, they'd flown into wow. the concert along with Skunk uh, Baxter, Jeff Baxter from Doobie yeah, Brothers yeah. and Steely Dan had come to that same show. And they, all these people were backstage. And this is the other part of In Excess's career where we didn't talk about it a lot, having these characters wandering around with us everywhere. <laughs> but you, you know you've got a problem when you start to think that's normal. Yeah. And like, hey, we are straight, of course. Yeah. You know, what <laughs> Just go to the cubicles, that? Andrew, and light up a, a cigarette yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. You know, so, but it was in that context that the reason I'm talking about that is because I think for Michael in particular, you know, with, with that song with Guns in the Sky and having that, you know, you got to put yourself right there at that moment in time. You had, you know, uh, Gorbachev and um, oh. Reagan agreeing to the, you know, reducing the proliferation of nuclear weapons and they were pulling back on it, which is a great thing for the world. And then at the same time, Michael has got this lyric out there on our biggest album about, you know, they want to put guns in the skies. Like, oh, oops. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, um, and, you know, and then you've got one of these heavyweight American political, you know, political people standing in front of you <laughs> talking about it. You're like, Okay, you know, this is not where's this conversation gonna go? This, this is not a little light rock and roll song. It's like, what the hell are we into here? You know, um, mm-hmm. and I and I think I think that particular thing, if you like, you know, um it hit home to me as a writer too, because you know, that's what I meant before when I said earlier today that it really occurs to you as as these things are unfolding and your work gets more and more heard around the world. And the very first part of our conversation is legacies when it goes on and on and on and on. What really was that all about? You know, um, and you, and you, and you sort of go, well, but you have often these things are happening in real time and in place, but to get back to welcome, I think heaven said <laughs> to me, heaven said to me questions is basically questions that I had in my mind at that time and that, you know, when I was writing that song that I felt were unanswered, just things that would come into my head or we all have them, um, you know, and you ask why on earth did this happen or did that happen or whatever. And that was really lyrically what that was all about. Heaven Sent was more, you know, trying to sort of understand how, you know, the miracle of, of a child coming into your life and, and, how this unfolds, you know, in, in, in how it works and, you know, and getting it, that in my head around that and incorporating it into a pop song. A lot of that, you know, was just um, about that really heaven sent and to me lyrically, it wasn't, um, but also there was a theme running in the back of my mind about, and I know you guys picked up on when I was talking about the library and burning the books and all that, because when Michael and I were going to high school together at Kalani Heights High School, there was some kid who tried to burn, I think, the library there or something. <laughs> Why would you do that? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, what are you doing? You know, um, creates you know, a nice fire. <laughs> well, you know, um, but in, in this year, of course, you just run off with your hard drive or something, don't you? Yeah, true. So is so there guess, this? Um, well, hang on, hang on a minute. <laughs> This Waltz version is is it about? I haven't heard it. Have you still got the, the version? version it's, the it's, ver- the, yeah. it's the original, I think. Yeah, um, but well. is it out there? So 
Yeah. Is it on I'm a B-side somewhere? Yeah, it's way out. Yeah. It's way out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you took it to the band and then they rough, They wanted to rough it up a bit. Is that right, Andy? You were like, oh, what are you doing yeah, in the but, song? But is well, it on I, a B-side? That's what I'm asking. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I, I don't know, Mark. I think I think it came out um, as on a the rarity or, you know. Yeah. It, came out, it definitely came out on the reissue of Welcome to Wherever You Are. When that it's a B-side on the Heaven Sent single in Australia, yeah. I can't remember that. I just, I, I've got that single sitting around in the drawer somewhere. I've also got Michael's hotel bill sitting here. Very, very for when we were in London, Wembley. Yeah. Anyway, you know, heaven sent. It was came in. wasn't hard to, to, to turn it around, and and because of what Andrew said, you know, we needed rock songs anyway. Kirk had the riff. Where we go, bang, get the take, move on. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great line. You just don't burn a library till you till, till, till you've read all the books. And the the, the point is to, until you've read all the books. And it's a yeah. double entendre, obviously. You, yes, it's true in itself, but it also refers to anything in life. Don't give a don't dismiss anything until you really understand what it is. overarching theme here is that the band are all probably entering their early 30s during the welcome phase. So I guess in their 20s, you know, they say, you know, take on the establishment and if you're in your 30s, you're not joining them, there's something wrong with you. You know, like, I guess in the early 30s, you're probably challenging in some respects just the world and, you know, there's a maturity, I guess, in the lyrics that, um, you know, we go into communication, we look at Guns in the Sky, they've got that, I think the Gulf War had been on, I think Michael had seen a lot of the footage on CNN and it gave some sort of stimulus to the song is what he had said, I think, in an interview at the time. Um, what's your takings on communication from your memory, Andrew? Well, you know, I'll, I'll go there. Um, and as much as I remember, you know, in excess, we were, we were performing somewhere in the United States and I remember standing, uh, maybe it was Florida, actually, and I remember standing in, in the airport looking at the big screens, which would normally have football games on or whatever, um, you know, t- TV games in, in the bar or whatever, um, and they just had images after images of the Gulf War, the first one. And I had a really cre- sort of uncomfortable, creepy feeling that, you know, it wasn't so much, oh, my God, there's a war. It was like, how am I going to get home? Um, you know, as you're watching this, because you're like, what's going to happen next? You know, um, as you're watching all this unfold in real time on television. Um, and I, I think for us, I think, you know, then for me, lyrically, you know, that was, uh, I actually, you know, t- took that lyric idea that I had written down to Michael and I said, can we, can we, you know, work on this lyric? Because I think, you know, modern communications, I don't know. I, my father, or you know, obviously Tim and 
and uh, John's and my sister Alison's, you know, our father Dennis, who passed away. Dad used to work for one of the big British newspapers as a journalist at the end of World War II. And Dad always used to say, um, the difference with your era, son, of media is that you're dealing with opinions. You're not just dealing with facts all the time. Mm. Yeah. Commentary. Absolutely. Is it running commentary all the time by everybody, whether it's social media or, you know, on the one hand, that's freedom of speech is fantastic. On the other hand, it's incredibly confusing because yeah. you're like, can someone please tell me what is going on? You know? Yeah, we're entering at that age, as you pointed out, you know, the Gulf War, you know, like when that was, you'd be, you'd be, you were in an airport. I was in an airport, you know, the day the Gulf War started, I flew from Australia to your gig in South America, to American <laughs> Stadium, to Rock and Rio, right. and it was the day the Gulf War started. Yeah. And this is, this again, this is, I guess, an aside from, but again, it's got something to do with what we're talking about. Flew to LA, and they would only let one person off the plane at a time. They had one customs official at a time. You know, the effect the Gulf War had on not just, it, it just changed everything, it's just like 9-11 changed everything. Mm-hmm. Like COVID's changing everything. It was amazing. But particularly on that particular day, that feeling of going into the airport, the communication you were getting, was it real? Or you took it for real? This is happening. It's on CNN. It must be right. Yeah. And then being affected by what was happening in the country itself at airports and and, and then, as I said, flying down to Brazil to meet up with you. Yeah. Well, thank you. And um, (laughs) I was going to say that I think, I think that the song itself, and I'd also, we'd been touring in Europe, obviously, during X, as we discussed before, and including, I think, Switzerland or whatever. And, you know, there was uh, this commentary was running on the hotel uh, television when I walked into my hotel room in, in, in somewhere in Switzerland about young people and, and you know, in, in Switzerland at the time and how they, you know, were, were sort of, you know, um, self-appointed critics of the establishment and all this sort of stuff. But the language that they were using was so not kind of American or Australian or British. It was very, there was something else in the attitude of it. I, I, I picked up on it. That's really interesting. And I thought, you know, it's, it's, and so that's the sort of thing that what I meant before when Michael and I would sit and talk together lyrically, that was probably the most unusual thing about Welcome to Whoever You Are. If I can really put my finger on it, I never really, really thought about it that carefully, is that it's probably the album of all In Excess's catalogue where Michael and I just openly, friendly discussed lyrics. I think most of the rest of, of In, In Excess's recordings were either you know, Michael would have a lyric that he brought to the into the you know into the the foray. And even before that, you know, the, the band's first singles like uh, Just Keep Walking and Simple Simon I wrote because I don't think Mike was very confident about lyric writing. You know, he was more confident about being a stage performer, but he got more and more and more articulate and he was always a great writer lyrically, but I think he was he lacked a bit in self-confidence, you know. And as he did actually more, more and more later on in the band's career, ironically, I think he got more and more, I don't know, not paranoid, but just... He would go, you know, probably second guessing what am I saying all the time to people, you know. With a, paranoia. Well, you know, sadly, you know, that the way it works, I think, and we were talking about this again before, and Mark was saying how in the era we're living in now, you know, do people get to the end 
of an album when they're listening to a group of work by an artist, probably not. They might listen, scat through, click through two or three songs. Do I like this? Don't I? Move on. In, in the hit-making process, you're always looking for catches and riffs and hooks and all the rest of it. But lyrically, you're left with, at the end, if you have a long career, people will throw you up against the wall, just like you guys, in a sense, are doing now. Hayden, you know, you're saying, why didn't you put Deeper Sweat on there? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? That is because now it's easy to look back and go, well, what was really going on? But at the time, you're actually in the middle of it most yeah. of the time. You know, and in fact, retrospective geniuses, aren't we? You know, <laughs> well, well, it's not just music, it's everything in your life, really, isn't it? Hey, we get it. <laughs> yeah, raising children is a classic example. Most parents go, Oh, why didn't I do this? So, why didn't I do that? What, you know, yeah. um, who raised and everyone? Pretty- everyone, <laughs> right? And you know, but but sometimes you get it right, and you know. God bless everyone that does that. I think what I'm saying though, musically with communication, I think I had a really strong idea musically what I wanted to do, but I I wanted to open that lyric up to Michael and have his take on it. And I love that lyric because it really is both of our minds kind of interplaying on how that lyric turned out, yeah. I think mm-hmm. the word disinformation, you were 12 months ahead of the U2 boys on that, you know, with the, uh, you know, the, the media type stuff they did on Zoropa a year later, but that's just a side comment. But um, and, uh, Mark, with the production of that song and Andrew with the structure of that song, it seems like a really interesting one and I love that it's front loaded. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us just a bit about how you produced that and all the sounds and the bourgeoisie sort of overdub and it was just really interesting creatively. It was not your cookie cutter type of song structure. You know, as I said earlier on, Andrew coming in the next morning, oh, I've got this bit of stuff that I've been working on all night or whatever. And the other stuff, as I said, stream of consciousness as people would come into the studio fresh. And so we, we would add to it. Not sure if we were, at what stage we'd come back to, you know, how much further can we take the song? And that's what I said about, you know, when I mentioned to Andrew about how at least, you know, are we finished? I'm not sure before we went to mix. And, and um, so every 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 song that we had, basically, except for a few, were movable feasts. Do we add a bit more to this? Do we add a bit more? They weren't cookie-cutter version of songs that were originally written. This is what you got to do. Oh, just triple the, half the chorus, do a pre, half a pre-chorus here, yeah. double up the chorus going out. Oh, don't forget to use the hook here, here, and here. It wasn't like that. This, this was about an expansion of music and an Andrew was so right, you know, like it's built on ideas that you've and feelings that you've come across, be it at home, be it in your travels, be it about your children, be it sitting in an airport and watching the Gulf War start up with CNN and any disinformation you are getting from the world media. Is this true? It, what This is the story history is written by the winners. What are we getting here, you know? So when you meld all that together, the change of the era, you got to remember, the world was just going digital at this stage. Everyone in Inexcess had a flip-top flip top phone. It was great. Everyone, and, and, and they'd be using it. <laughs> hey, I've got a mobile phone. It's a flip-top Motorola, you know, and the latest and the greatest. And they'd all have an Apple II computer, the latest Apple II computer, which was the latest in smart, you know, genius technology. And on the, on the consoles, there'd be about five computers there and communication going on with, with, with in the world at that stage. Communication itself had changed, the way we communicated. It wasn't the 6 o'clock news in the afternoon at, at night anymore. It's 24-hour news. That's when it all started. 24-hour news started then. 
And I think the song reflects that as well. Mm. And that gives it a timelessness and a relevance now, doesn't it? Payton, you were so right because the timeless that gives us is, is, is as you point rightly pointed out, the keyword in this song is disinformation. It's such a keyword, and and, and so much so that you know you two and in excess were great mates, Michael and Bono. They were close, very close, and I can remember Bono's wife saying to me on the phone how much they love "Welcome to Wherever You Are." You know, that was their favourite album. You know, and they couldn't wait to hear where we we're going to go next after that. So, you know, so there may have been a bit of that come through there. I'm sure there's, you know, they're influenced by each other, whether subconsciously or consciously or not. But the big point to make, production is, is it, it's how it turned out, it's capturing the moment, whatever happened to time, yeah, we'll use that. Oh, Andrew, that's killer. We've got to keep that in there, that, that loop you've got going or, or whatever. It was just, you know, we'll add into the trying to make the best suit possible. So, yeah, that's all I can say about, you know, it wasn't, a calculated decision to do this, to do that, to do this, to do that, you know, unless it was already in the bare bones of the song already. Now, please, a bit of a favourite for yours. You talk about the next one. What are our takes on Taste It? So is that another composition between you and Michael, Andrew? Yeah, um, I was very much experimenting around with loops and, and, and samples and things more and more, um, as were you know, many other people in that, in that time frame and still are now. Um, but, I, you know, back then, yeah, I was messing around with some, some loops and ideas and funk riffs and things on that 56 Strat, actually, on Taste It. And... I remember that my original demo, which I then I went back and, and listened to somehow along the way, yeah, I, it could have been a lot heavier, that track, actually. It could have been more like a rock funk, more like a, a kick song, I think, actually, um, if we'd done it a slightly different way. But, you know, like Mark said, you, you can't take yourself out of the time frame you were in. In the era we were doing all this, you know, they were – that by using the loops and the samples and the, and that kind of technology and putting it up front in the recordings as opposed mm-hmm. to a normal rock band sound, yeah, that was in its in its time and in its era yeah. kind of not groundbreaking but different. It was different. Yeah, no, it yeah. was. It was. Um, it's a standard. I mean, I, I, I hear that same technology now in country music, which I'm interested in, mm-hmm. and all the young country guys are all using R&B loops and all this kind of stuff. I'm sitting there going, wow, you know, I was doing this 35, 40 years ago now, you know, like, and and and, and they've they've integrated all of that, which is great. You know, the cross, the cross fusion of musics is interesting, but at the same time, I, I think the technology of it, it's, it's only that. It's only technology. It's not... If, if you use it as a sound or or whatever, that's great. But that's all it is. It's not, you know, and something else will come along anyway. You know, something new will come around the corner. It will. Something, I don't know when, but it will. Probably. I, liked, I liked how the intro and the video worked really well together because it sort of leads you into that opening of going into a home, that going down the, the voyeur thing going, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was very clever. Now, Andrew, were you doing your best impersonation of one of the Cray brothers on the couch in that video? 
Like right. it, you had the no, lead for us was, looking at the. Was it? Was yeah, I think it was a John and Tim no, it was doing John that. And, John and Kirk was. Kirk it? was that? Okay. Oh, I can't. Well, it was a very oh, Bailey oh, Walsh did that clip. I think didn't he? Yeah, I think I think he did in the UK. I think. Yeah. In excess's whole video thing, to me, I. It was a love-hate thing I always had with the whole video thing because, to me, I I found that I, I was always really a music-first guy. I, the visual aspect of of these images sometimes would portray the the meaning of the song or or the um, what you were trying to portray brilliantly. Sometimes the video. And other times I saw today, I won't say which ones, but I'll watch some of the <laughs> NXS videos and I go, wow, because it, it's I, I, so far away <laughs> from what I was I'll say with music. Beautiful girl. I could not believe that, you know, everyone, I heard you guys raving about the, the, the video for Beautiful Girl. It's got nothing to do with the song at all. No. Yeah. Well, it, well, right. And, and but I think it was. Uh, <clears throat> I think from a US perspective, they really loved all that. Uh, I think. No, no question about it. it. Was a marking decision. I get that. Yeah. But it's, for me to watch the song that we worked on in the studio, knowing what the song was about and, and the story behind it, then to see it's it, it's about you know um, anorexia. On a, it's like what? And so the artistic side of it, I didn't even take into account. You know, when you've got vision and you've got music, you've got the ability here to go one and one equals three. Mm-hmm. Like you, you've got the opinion, the, the chance to put a movie out there with with the music means stuff, and the, and the, and you add the the visuals to it, and you can create this. Fant- and there's been many videos. You go, how good is that? Or they can get it banned, as in taste it. Yeah, but no, but no, I'm just saying in general, but I, I just, I'm just saying to qualify Andrew's point. Yes, there are so many great songs where the videos are just so good, like Never Tear Us Apart, which is nice and beautiful. Sort of consolidates the song intent yeah. in a way. Well, exactly that. But, but what, as I said, for me, you know, in, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm off track here with the, the song order. That's how I felt about Beautiful Girl. Great song. You know, the, the thing, I remember Andrew and I on Beautiful Girl working for ages. I was real keen on, I've got to get a kid's piano. We looked for these little tiny kid's pianos to play, the, you know, that opening piano, da, 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 yeah. you know, the piano with, against the guitar. Sounds like one. Mm. Yeah, well, that's what we're after. <laughs> I was passionate about it, you know, and, and, and we'd bring stuff and just couldn't tune these things. And then finally... Finally, one day Andrew comes up with a sample and said, I think I've got it. And he played it to him. It was one we could, you know, on the emulator. And we could, thank God. Was that where it came from, Andrew? Yeah, it was. I had a, I think it was a DBX 163 compressor in my home. And I just crunched the sound of it. So it had that toy like sound. It stopped being high res and all that. But you were, but at least it was stable. That sounds And that sets the song up. And I'm sorry to get back to this. Well, it does with the lyrics, doesn't it? It's about, you know, a child. and Yeah. Know. It's, it's exactly right. But in the video, that does not come across. Yeah. You know, and and so I'm sorry just to interject on that part, but we, we were talking about. We're, we're going to, sorry, Mark, we're going we're gonna to move some of this narrative around into the order. So we'll move the beautiful Don't girls worry. behind the beautiful yeah, girls. Yeah, it's fine. We, say, we, we can we, chop and change everything. We'll, we'll, we'll move we, this we, around. We can do that, can't we? We'll do like uh, the beautiful girl film be, clip. We'll move shit around I everywhere. Words, I think the words be, not we. Okay. <laughs> 
They're going to do interesting things to us, Mark. They are going to manipulate you. But back on the taste, I particularly love that video as well. Yeah. Know? And the thing is, with taste, it for me, just uh, after what and Andrew was saying philosophically about the song and things like that, to me, again, when we needed the rock song, there's an ascending part that I helped Andrew with. I did the sus four bits that we, you know, we build back up and drop off the cliff. In the past, the effect that you hear a Michael, Michael in absolutely dead space, and then having that backwards sound in the past effect, which is. I used earlier on in questions as well, which is I didn't get a chance to say it, but Kirk's soprano saxophone in that everyone thinks is a Middle Eastern instrument is in fact Kirk's soprano going through this in the past effect where I don't use any of the original sound, I only use the effect. And it gives you that sort of automatically, wow, it sounds like some guy in the Middle East. Great song, great rock song. As we were talking about the video, I thought the video was very daring and very classy. Mm. Yeah. I tried to convince B was in England and you said, that's not England. I said, I'm pretty sure Bailey Walsh was in England. Oh, no, no. It looked like it, yeah. Yeah, yeah Burbank or something. No, was it England, Andrew, though? I believe so, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> okay. I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly where it was. Um, you were there. But definitely was. Was it yeah, Birmingham, was it? <laughs> I mean, it was definitely in England and it was a nice suburban area somewhere. But I think the other thing with taste, I wanted to, you know, have the harmonic in it as well. And Mark uh, ran off a lot of different mixes of all of these songs. Um, and at some point, I don't know, down the track, you know, there's one, I know, or two of those mixes where it's John, in, you know, playing much more of a heavier kick and, and, you know, like a, a full kit sound rather than more of the loop sound and, the, and all of that. It's more, you know, a rock standard sort of rock sound. That's one of the interesting things with Welcome to WR's an album is that it really could have gone off in two or three very different directions as an album. Um, you know, and I, I felt it's been ever since I've thought more about Welcome to VR over the last, especially over the last two or three days, I've been thinking more about that period of time. And I think if we had recorded, and I'll just say this, Full Moon, Dirty Hearts, in the same passage of time, it would have been such a different album because we would have had the rock element of, you know what I mean, Mark, of Full Moon, but we would have brought all that more arty weirdness in with it from the... Well, we were definitely trying to do that. You know, the big difference there was Capri, of course. but That's right. Yeah. But we were definitely, uh, you know, it was my intention with um, Full Moon from day one that it should be, you know, a progression on Welcome. It was my intention, you know, with the running order that um, it should start with um, Freedom, Freedom Deep. Yeah. Right. And, and should finish with Kill the Pain as the book. And I went to a, a very long argument with, with Chris Murphy about this. But I think there's, he was getting a lot of pressure from the record company, you know, put all the rock songs up front, you know, make it really rocky. Nirvana's king. You've yeah. got to do this. Where I'm going, oh, my God, you know. But we've designed this album to be a sweet again, you know. 
So that was that, that was quite upsetting for me. But you're right, you know, we're doing it at the same time, but that's in fact what we were attempting to do in a way. Michael had his accident, been carpery, everyone has to go home. The families are there for the first couple of weeks they've gone. The dynamic is constantly changing. The band before Christmas went back to Australia. Yeah. You and I might came back for three weeks. Then the band came back for a, a week, you know, and then they left again. Then you and Michael and I went off to Paris to work in William uh, Gilliam Tell. It, so it was a different time, different period. So we didn't get that chance of, of what it was. But in a lot of ways, you're right. You know, had the songs been available at the time, it would have been better. <laughs> That's a there. But, hey, I ended up living on Capri anyway, and I, I go back there every year. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Um, and I agree, an amazing experience, uh, really culturally, more than not just, you know, artistically and all the rest of it. I only brought that up in, in context of that I felt the production of it, the value of the record, that um, what I really enjoyed about, you know, how the road that you were taking it down is you, enough commercial you know, aspect to the production, but I also really liked the way that you were sympathetic to the, I wouldn't say weirdness, but the quirkiness. In my case, it, it's Shabu Shabar, but really 10 years on, you know, and in a lot of ways. And, mm. and um, you know, that's me. That's, you know, that's a, you listen to any In Excess albums, pretty yeah. easy to tell the ones that I've Which worked. ones you've done, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I'm not denigrating anybody or anything. I'm just saying it's just my mindset and, and how and I'm very much one foot in front of the other kind of guy you know there's no grand master plan here it's okay that sounds great let's use it yeah but you're right Andrew the other thing is that in Capri Ryan Ostras we owned that studio literally owned it mm. and we and we also worked all the time on different you could do a Jenny Morris album there you know I, I do noise works whoever else I was working on there. so we would have been the use of it again, plus we had our homes to go to and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it would have been a little different had we done Full Moon there for a lot of reasons. But there are a lot of other things that came into account at that time. For instance, Chris was redoing his management deal with you guys. Michael had the accident. You know, we are on free. There was a lot of different things going on. I was going to say that to me, um, what I found really intriguing as well is that with Welcome to Who You Are, there is like when I, you know, when I re-listened to the whole album myself and and you know, I was listening to what Hayden and B were talking about their what their songs they did or didn't like, and you know, that the deepest red should have been this or should have yeah. been that. You know, I actually I have to disagree with you, Hayden. I think I love Deepest Red, but it shouldn't have been on Welcome. It should have either been on Full Moon Dirty Hearts or Elegantly Wasted would have been great too. I think yeah. Elegantly Wasted was the one that should have been on myself. But again, it's as I said, hindsight's a beautiful thing. And yes, you're right. You know, looking back, we could have done some, but that's not the spirit that we were in as a group, as a unit of people. That's right. That's, that's where we I were. I think um, that five track CD single for Heaven Sent, Deepest Red, was on it. So it felt to me synonymous with the album and, and that period of my life, which was the, the sweet spot of fandom.
Mark, you were very keen to create, I think, a bit more of a musicality um, with all the elements. And I think so far for the first four songs, that's striking. Um, would you agree with that, with the four songs we've, we've talked about so far? Every song is different. But I said the consistency and the theme of the album is that very fact. And yet it still flows. And um, But, yes, I totally would agree, you know, with that. You've got a taste of everything. Wow, where did that come from? Where did that come from? I mean, you've got questions. You have to go, what? And then all of a sudden you get hit in the face with a baseball bat with heaven sent, you know? Yeah. What the hell was that? You know, and then, and then you know, communication, settle things back down again. And then and then you come back it up again with, with taste. It. And then, of course, we come to one of your favourite songs, Not Enough Time. Can I say something? Sure. <laughs> like what you were just saying then, you know, they are all different, but they have you've got that recognisable, the guitars coming in in Heaven Sent and then the harmonica coming in in um, Taste It. So it's so recognisable as in an excess album, but so very different. And um, what I liked about um, Taste It was the bass that you really tuned in really for the bass on that song. Why did you pick up on the bass more than anything in that? Well, because it was the natural thing to do. Mm. It felt right. You know, it's like Andrew was saying, you know, you did everything at whatever it was at the time because that's the way it was and that's what felt good at the time. And, you know, and again, you know, Gary, very much underrated bass player and thank, great to see him still working just like Andrew is and, and, and giving his talent. So I thought, and I hope he hears this one day because big shout out to Gary. It just was the right thing to do. And the thing in, in all my productions that I will ever do, I want everyone to hear every instrument. Now, and, but I needed the instrument to be at the level they need to be at to create that one sound because that one sound creates a harmonic thing. Don't change It's a classic example with the outro, the way it goes, oh, and that's harmonic suggestion. But getting back to this, you know, it's... Yeah, it's, I, I don't know what else to say. I guess there's a democracy of, of, of all sounds and everyone can shoot everyone at the top of their game, you know? Yeah, exactly. But Gary it was tight ass, you know, and that's and, and in some of the songs, you know, I'm sure Andrew had a keyboard bass going as well, which would sort of meld in with the bass as well. Okay, that made you it know, more prominent. And, and so we could so Gary even shone even further because he had another groove to play to. Right. You know, as well. So he could, he could put extra this note here and that note there. And so because Andrew is very structured in his writing and when he's putting even the smallest piece of music together, he wants to make sure every bit's there. And that's one of the great things because immediately, it doesn't matter how small a piece of music Andrew would bring in to me, you can immediately see where it can go because he's filled in all the bits of those parts. You so know, where very, did you start with Taste It then, Andrew? What, yeah, what, well, how was that structured? Okay. In your, like, how do you? I, I just like to preempt what I'm going to say by saying and agreeing with Mark that Gary, you know, is very much an underrated bass player. Yeah. And, and you know, just the rhythm section of Gary Beers and John Farris, you know, unbelievable. 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 Incredible. Um, you know, live and in the studio. But I was going to say that with bass parts, being a songwriter, and you know, I would work in the early years, you know, uh, with an eight-track tape recorder. And if I didn't, if I couldn't get it together within eight tracks, then I didn't get it together. So I learned really quickly, you know, as a writer to experiment until, you know, I wasn't so much um, able to. I could edit with my tape, 
and I could edit my song together, but I didn't have the ability like, you know, modern Pro Tools programs or computer-generated, you know, writing tools that that I know how to use now. Back then, if I couldn't get it my shit together on that eight-track tape recorder, that's what I, the best I could do. And so I used to spend hours and hours and hours. I, I could never be the bass player, for example, at Gary is, but as a keyboard player, I could, well, I'll play it on, on the bass, you know, a sound on a keyboard or something. And I learned by repetition, by going over and over and over and over. Okay, well, I can't be the same as a rock bass guitarist, but I can play the bass like this. And when we were recording Original Sin in New York, I remember Niall Rogers saying to me, um, he's saying, do you play keyboard bass? I said, yeah. And he goes, would you mind doing that on Original Sin? I said, well, look, so nervously looked at Gary like, that's not going to go down well, you know. <laughs> um, but I said, yeah, I'll have, a go, I'll have a go at it. And then what he what he did was quite clever. Now, he, he got a gate, you know, like electronic gate, and he got me to play the keyboard bass and Gary, to, we both played the same thing at the same time, kind of like what Mark that's was right talking about before and I'd be playing the keyboard like that which would be opening the electronic gate and letting Gary come in at the timing that I was hitting the notes and stuff like that which I saw many years later when Michael convinced me to go down to U2 studio when we were writing for Elegantly Wasted and I saw something similar that um, uh, uh, Edge would have a, a in their studio he had a um a gate across Bono's microphone and whenever he would play a guitar thing like that, it would enable his voice to come out. And I thought, God, I've seen this before, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but, well, we, I think there's we shit years ago, you know. But it's, it's not that so much. Yeah, we were competitive, but in a nice way as, as bands, you know. I, I think the only thing I will say, which is kind of funny, and but during the recording of Full Moon, I'm sure Mark can remember this too because Michael and Bono were very good friends and Bono would ring Michael and we'd all be sitting in the control room and, he, and Bono would act like, you know, so what are you guys doing? You know, and we're like, don't tell him what we're doing. You know what I mean? Because it's like we will be the first to do That's it. That's right. And he brings it to my like, moments as well. You know, like, you know, about to do something, phone rings. i got to, it's, it's Bono for me. I've got to take this. Yeah, like, can, you just, can you just hang on? You know, like, yeah. And it's, um, we're on the guitar and going, yeah, right, okay, yeah. But, but you know, look, I, I, I always have a lot, like, lot of respect for you two as a band and as people, great people. Um, they're always really good to us. And, uh, oh, brilliant. They're brilliant yeah. to you guys. And good people, you know, they're friendly mm-hmm. to us and, you know, and and not weird, you know. So we were probably the weirdos actually. Uh, but, you know, um, but, you know, I think, um, yeah, great band. Great. One of my favourite bands ever, really, yeah. So we're going to get to the next song, uh, B, uh, Not Enough Time. Not Enough Time. Okay. Okay, B. Breathe. So okay. before we get into this one, B, we just wanted to stand up and do something. Is that right? Well, all right. Okay. okay. All right. How am I going to do go. this? I'm going to stand up and we're just going to uh, have a clap on this one. There you go. <laughs> just thought we'd do a standing ovation uh, for that song, okay. Andrew. I was wondering what that was all about. <laughs> I yeah. know. I wondered what I was going to do, though. Stand up, Ben. <laughs> Very entertaining. <laughs> if you uh, have absolutely zero to do in the next sort of 30, 40, 50 years of your wonderful life, you could go back two episodes. We do a whole episode on Not Enough Time, the song, and we break it down in 30-second increments and we talk a little bit about the structure of this song being um, – 
really interesting in the sense that you've got, I guess, the, the lyric, Not Enough Time, being sort of the, the song itself, but it has this great exit outro, Make Time Stop. And I, I said it's a bit similar to Message in a Bottle by the police, that the lyric is Message in a Bottle, but the outro is sending out an SMS. And I like that lyrical structure and the song climbs to such a, yeah. uh, a crescendo B. <laughs> um, uh, we, we just think this was the song of the album and one of your top three of all time, but would love to pass the baton to you and hear about uh, your experience with it. We had to use it for the Barcelona games. Is that right? right. I think that's right. Yep. And I also believe that with this particular song, it was one of the first songs we actually finished, so that's one of the reasons why it ended up. Oh, yeah. Here you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The thing people also don't get to really hear properly because when we mixed with Bob Clearmount, and I don't know if Bob would mix it out a little bit, but at the very start of Not Enough Time, you should be able to hear vinyl record sort of starting. Do you remember that, Andrew? All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's like there was a vinyl sound effect. It was like someone putting on a record. It's not so much the needle dropping, but it's just as I thought your review on it the other day, really good. It was really good, to the point where you even elevated the song for me, which is a lot, and I've heard your song a lot. And, you know, there are so many great points about this particular song. You know, uh, I think, as B mentioned, the uh, the way Michael gets to his crescendo, but where he comes from to get yes. that crescendo from the very beginning of the song. You know, again, a lot of work that I do, I'm, I'm very much love songs to build up, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that's to yeah. Hear. And uh, and to keep the interest up, and but subconsciously as well. But this is a bit more blatant in a way. You know, the, the arrangement it, it just keeps climbing and climbing. There's an urgency with it as well. But, but, but particularly, you know, uh, you know, just the way you know having that line as, as the pseudo chorus at the end is. is, mm. is and again, what really makes Michael's vocal to be able to transcend all those different levels is Denny Hines. Mm-hmm. I mean, she did a marvellous oh, job. Yeah. Right. And I, for me, when, anytime I had, you know, I'd be obviously thinking when I was working on it, Denny Hines, yeah, I, I love Dark Side of the Moon when, that, when uh, what's the name? I was thinking name? the same thing, Mark. Yeah, yeah. The, the girl, the great gig in the sky, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I've done that a cup on a cup. I did that with Richard Clapton as well and did something similar on Great Escape. But, yeah, Danny, Danny was great because she was around, you know, when Kirk was in the studio, she was in the studio, so it's just so easy, you mm. know. And as you know, when you spoke to Kirk, I loved using Kirk backing vocals. I couldn't but I could I, <laughs> I did think Kirk was criminally underused. Uh, what's that that song on Exit, which brilliant backing vocals on? Um, um, uh, the, hear That Sound. Hear, hear That Sound. Yeah. Hear That Sound. Just fantastic. I mean, I would love to have produced that song. Yeah, I love yeah. that song too. Yeah. It, it's just such a great, it's positive, vibing sound, you know, and, and Kirk's vocal, which is fantastic. So, you know, so with, that's with, with Danny being on that, with this song made a lot and made it all work. But again, it's the floor is definitely Andrew's because, it, you know, the music had to come from somewhere and that's where it comes from. Yeah, thank you. I, I think not enough, not enough time um, was really sort of... Um, you know, a brilliant lyric of Michael's in comparison with some of the, especially some of the earlier rock, you know, based stuff that In Excess was doing. What was great with Not Enough Time and other tracks, tracks, particularly on Welcome to You Are, 
is that lyrically he was able to soften the tone of what he was doing instead of now listen everybody you better listen to me because I'm rocking it's like it's more like yes yeah he sort of um what's the word um invite you invite you to listen to him Mm. as opposed we we think he was more restrained but no no I think less was more can I just say the start vocal is a come hither vocal yes yeah come hither Come listen to me. It's yeah. it's not the Mercury. I can sing. No, no. Uh, it's no. it's 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 a come hither. I'm a big huge fan of Queens too, but I was going to say that I am. Uh, yeah, but I was going to say that I think it's interesting that we go across to you know a stadium rock band like Queen, who is so great at all that, and of course in excess you know was in its day too. But I think the big difference for us is ironically <clears throat> the same thing we're talking about, the stadium rock thing, is that we talked about that as a band around about this exact same time. And I remember talking about it, particularly with Michael, and he would, you know, we all sort of bit philosophical and to the horror of your management and record companies and, and, and touring agencies, they were like, you know, why would you even, you know, question doing something like not doing it? A stadium. It's like, well, because what happens is you become a stadium act and you have a gravy train of people all depending on you, you know, for their existence, for their incomes, for their corporate, you know, identities, whatever it is they're all trying to make a buck. And you being the artist, and that comes back to what we're talking about in recording studios where suddenly you find yourself, you know, why am I, say, Mark, why would he be producing a song? Why wouldn't he produce a song that would just sound magnificent in the stadium? Well, you know what? Because you're an artist and because you don't have to do that and because of the gravy train of people that are following you along, you know, you can disconnect from that. It's dangerous and crazy. And, and a lot of people would probably look at an excesses career and go, well, I really went downhill after, you know, such and such an album. It's like, actually, sorry, everybody. That was our decision to do that. I, I beg to differ. You'll never really understand the sequence of events until you've been a stadium act. No idea what you're talking about. Hey, this is David from Derby. Hi, this is Katie from England. G'day, it's Paul from Sydney. Hi, this is Ella from the Netherlands. This is Dr. Jim and that's a wrap. Well, wow. Dean, well... <laughs> Again. We, look, we, we, as we probably said last week, we did the deep dive full record, but mm-hmm. we sort of just listened back together today mm-hmm. uh, to that episode and, uh, again, felt like we were there again live. <laughs> um, quite revealing, weren't they, both, you know, um, mm-hmm. Andrew there and, and, and Mark, and mm-hmm. uh, it was great just to suddenly really sort of just unpack uh, the Welcome album, especially the first side there. It was nice for me to hear about men and women because... I've said to you before, it's I, I find it pretty boring mm. and I have to skip it. And that's mm. terrible. And I know I can hear you all going, boo, on the phone at me or wherever you might be listening to us. But I'm going to try and listen to it a bit more. The fact it was more personal to Michael and it wasn't anything really but to yeah, do. Let me, let yeah. me share, share something with you. When, I, mm. <laughs> when we, uh, uh, you know, got a discussion there with Andrew about all around. He was quite sort of defending his song and like yes, almost he was. like I, uh, I didn't really sort of really like it from the, the the review the week before. And I think I've probably tried to reiterate it. We're talking sort of six out of ten songs, not twos, you know. So mm. I don't mind the song all around. But it's really funny, having said you don't like something, sometimes, well, when you don't like it as much, 
when you go back and listen without the pressure, I found myself actually liking it a bit more yeah, than 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and, and it's a bit weird with music. Sometimes songs can come and go with the lens that you've got. And a good example is when you put a song in a, in a movie and you, you art it up a little bit in an action movie or something, sometimes an old song can have a new life and you see it mm. under the new lens. Mm. Maybe now that you know what Men and Women was written about and what it was yeah. to Michael and the, the background on it, you might just sort of go into it with a bit more of a different lens and it may connect with you uh, on subsequent listens because sometimes music, like, and again, I'm not patronising you, but you're very much, you know, a feel, a dance, emotional, fun, joyous or whatever there. And music is there to entertain you a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. primarily and, and me too and things as well. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes the song can be the lyrics like, Leonard Cohen doesn't have the greatest voice. Bob Dylan don't, doesn't have the greatest voice, but sometimes I'm very just absolutely captivated by their lyrics and when you just really zone in on what it is they're I, saying. I'm a Bob Dylan fan. I like Bob yeah, Dylan. Yeah. But the, the, I think the difference with this, it's, there's not, it's, it's all on one pace. It doesn't feel like it's going anywhere to me. And yeah. that might be what he's trying, to, obviously trying to do because he's very Just artistic. Take, take notice of the build up to the orchestra where there's the big crunching court, uh, uh, orchestra at the end. To me, See, I you probably know. never got there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Mm. But look, you know, it'd be interesting to check in in a week's time, see how you feel. But yeah. it's not a, a toe tap or a jingle. It's, I think now knowing maybe it's a bit, as, as Andrew said, about the women in his life, mm. I didn't really know about that. So I'm mm. like, oh, maybe it's his mom, his sister, his, his girlfriend, mm. girlfriends, yeah. you know, nice. his, his ups and downs, Michelle, you know. Mm. Now I'm going to listen to it with that lens. So Yeah, yeah. same. Mm. And right. the other thing that struck me was, um, Andrew had co-written First Man on the Earth yep. with um, Guy Chambers. I mean, Guy Chambers is massive, isn't he? Yeah, well, look, you know, he did a lot of Robbie Williams stuff and everything mm. there, and he worked really – he produced the Switch album. So uh, right. I guess Andrew referenced that, you know, which is, you know, good portents for things to come when we do the Switch Yeah, album. very much looking forward to hearing more about him. Updates. We have been overwhelmed. We are coming to the end of the amount of fan kits we've got. Um, we are seeing if we can conjure up another five or six or seven more. Um, the demand is exceeding supply. Uh, but uh, I do believe we have unearthed a, a, another six or seven at the back of the warehouse. So, <laughs> Aiden, uh, we do have a few more than six or seven. Don't you worry, everybody. But we the orders that came through today. Oh, yeah, we've got a lot of orders, orders today. We, we've set aside a, quite a lot for the patrons, and there are going to be some there for Joe Public too, or you, your yeah. lovely listeners. So don't worry, you're not going to miss out. But I've, you been are working on my I've been working on my clerical game lately after Mark gave me a hard time. <laughs> so I, I, I've been on the emails and seeing all the amount of orders coming oh, through. No, uh, we have a lot. It's a massive discount if you're a patron. Mm. So that's the difference there. So if you're a patron, it's actually worth, even if you come on for $5, $10, um, 20 30 or some people pay 50 you know. We don't ask for that, but people just mm. pay whatever they want mm. into into the into this 
wonderful show that we're producing. And uh, yeah, so if you just do that for a couple of months and you get the patron pack for a good discount of 50 bucks. Yeah, absolutely. All right, a couple of other things before we get into fan engagement. I'll just get these out of the way, B. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week's episode, the third uh, one of the Andrew Drop, we did mention last week, we're going to try to get that out around a Wednesday, Thursday. Yes. Uh, if possible uh, for the listeners because, uh, yeah, it's always hard to wait seven days when you're right in the, the midst of things. And mm-hmm. we really love the way the, the podcast finishes. So we're going to try to get that out to you a little bit earlier than usual. All right, but in fan engagement, I know uh, you had a bunch of names to read out through some very eager engages this week. Do tell. Do tell. Okay, well, I put it out there as a post onto our Facebook page asking people if they'd have been on the front row of an In Excess concert. Now, tragically, over the weekend, Travis Scott had a festival and a lot of people tried to surge to the front. And I just want to recognize um, that tragic event and also pay my respects to the family and to all the victims. And it just made me think about what I'd actually written, but you've been to the front of it in excess. And it was yeah. yeah, I mean, look, I guess the positives of the original post was really geared around about where have you seen them and a lot mm. of us have said up the front and things. And I, look, I remember at the Melbourne Uni gig uh, and a few of our listeners may have been there in 93 where we were pushed up against the stage. The stage was moving. I think um, mm. uh, it was pushing up against and there was such a, a groundswell of people. But I guess the difference being this festival, there was over sort of 50,000 people and it's Children. really hard when you're in the middle and it's like a washing machine. So And drugs um, and there was yeah, some awful just, things that were happening. So yeah. just my my love and my support and uh, yeah. out there to everybody. But yeah, thank you for everybody that engaged with me. It was very it was so much fun. So many new people that I met. So I'd like his big list. Um Deirdre, Leone, Adam, Nigel, Jem, Ivan, Kev. John, Simone, Bev, Tash, Kelly, Christine, Ty, Frederica, Jolene, Gabe, Paula, Erica. Sounds like another patron list, doesn't it? it does, actually, um, yeah. Stacy, Ben, Alicia, Nancy, Bobby, and Rodney. Well, if any of you aren't patrons, jump on board. We'd love to get to know you more. And uh, thanks for engaging on our platforms. I'm in with the in crowd And I know what the in crowd goes Anytime yeah. jam-packed episode, let's go out with the tribute song today We thought that in light of the episode and chatting to Andrew and Mark uh, we did come off last week with questions and going into Heaven Sent and we're going to go into the third track today. Not so much because it's in sequence, but more because it was a very sort of prophetic sort of title of a song and a prophetic issue in terms of uh, the uh, subject matter, be it media and digital and wars and disinformation and things which Mark highlighted. And we think it's such a great song and sonically it just sounds quite different to the band of what they've done. But we thought we would go out with this today uh, in acknowledgement for this particular track. B. And one little sub note, I did see this song played live first 
uh, in 93 at one of the gigs uh, when they came out and played it first. And Michael, you could tell, was really into it. And often the first song at an NXS concert was always the best because you were so excited before they came out. And, uh, yeah, they had uh, Talking Heads once in a lifetime and What's New Pussycat being played, I think, at different – I think at the start of the gig they had Talking Heads. At the end of the gig they had Tom Jones. But uh, – yeah, communication was that first song out of the block. So, oh, cool. uh, yeah, it was uh, it was really cool. So, fantastic. Um, yeah, thanks for today, B. Goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from B. Bye, everybody.
just like to also say congratulations to Helen Kirkwood and to our gorgeous Lisa McIntosh for winning Kurt Pengilly's bottles of wine. They should be on their way, if not in your hands already. And um, yeah, so congratulations on winning those. You went into a hat and we drew those at the weekend. If you want to see the footage, that will be on our Facebook. So scroll down onto that. Also, you'll see footage of me opening up the fan kit. So lots to see if you're a Facebooker. We like to see um, more of you come on board, become patrons, get into that hat, win some prizes. See you next week.